here at Grace Church. We're really glad you're with us, whether you're with us here in person, whether you're joining with us on Facebook Live, whether you're listening to the podcast, wherever you are, we are glad you're with us. We'd also, as I mentioned earlier, like to invite you to participate with us through using the learning guide that we put out every week. There's just no way that we can adequately cover everything that is involved with the text that we study on a Sunday morning. We, Sunday morning is a, is a way, hopefully, to in, in some ways to whet your appetite for your own study, for your own engagement through the week. And one of the primary ways we do that is by producing a study guide, which helps all of us at Grace Church, all of us who participate, like I said, whether through Facebook or the, the podcast or here in person, we all are engaged in sharing the same text, studying the same text, and involved in many of the same questions together. Emmett Till was 14 years old when he begged his mother to travel with an uncle to visit relatives in Mississippi. His mother, Mamie Till, eventually relented and said yes, and in August of 1955, her son, her only son, Emmett, was brutally murdered there. Emmett was accused of harassing a local white woman, and as a result, he was kidnapped, beaten, shot in the head, bound with barbed wire, and thrown into the Mississippi River. His body was recovered later, and in her unimaginable grief and anger, his mother insisted on a public open casket funeral for her son to bear witness to the violence inflicted on him and on many, so many blacks in the South. Later, Till's murderers were put on trial. It was no secret who did it. Everybody knew who did it, but they were put on trial and they were acquitted. They later confessed, having already been tried and acquitted, they, could, they didn't face any more legal penalty, and they even sold their story to a magazine for $4,000. But Emmett Till's death served to galvanize the civil rights movement at the time and changes that were to come. Till's story and the story of countless others who have been unjustly accused, condemned, set up and scapegoated, lied about and slandered, ignored and told to shut up and sit down, strike to the heart of what we understand as injustice. Many people here in this room, while not to the extent the extreme extent of being lynched, have likewise been marginalized, written off, had our pain mansplained away, ignored, or even rationalized as just and deserved. It doesn't take long to live life in this world to experience the bitter taste 
of injustice. But our text this week gives us hope. But we have to be careful. If we read this text as some sort of template promise that everything's going to be all right, we miss the point by a wide mark. If we're, going to go into, if we're going to come to understand and embrace God's covenantal promises of grace, we also have to come to understand and embrace that grace is at times messy. That it doesn't make sense to us. That it doesn't seem like it's working. And that also it may be very costly. It may come in ways we never understand. So pray with me as we read our text. Holy Spirit, we have presented ourselves to you. We brought ourselves here and you have gathered us. We've set aside the things that were before and the things that are to come to concentrate on what you would say to us. And we know that involves bringing our own pain, the pain we've suffered, and the pain we've inflicted. We trust now as we listen, as we lean into your word by the power of your spirit, that you will give us hope. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. We're reading from Genesis chapter 39, starting with the first verse. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt. An Egyptian named Potiphar, an official of Pharaoh, and the captain of the guard purchased him from the Ishmaelites who had, bought, who had brought him there. The Lord was with Joseph. He was successful and lived in the household of his Egyptian master. His master observed that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he was doing successful. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal attendant. Potiphar appointed Joseph overseer of his household and put him in charge of everything he owned. From the time Potiphar appointed him over his household and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's household for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on everything he had, both in his house and in his fields. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. He gave no thought to any of it, to anything except for the food that he ate. Now Joseph was well built, good looking. Soon after these things, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, have sex with me. I'm sure it was a little more sexy than that, how she said it. But he refused, saying to his master's wife, look, my master does not give any thought to his household with me here, and everything that he owns he has put into my care. There is no one greater in his household than I am. He has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. So how could I do such a great evil and sin against God? Even though she continued, even though she continued to speak to Joseph day after day, he did not respond to her invitation to have sex with her. One day he went into the house to do his work. When none of the household servants were in the house, she grabbed him by his outer garment saying, have sex with me. But he left his outer garment in her hand and ran outside. 
When she saw that he had left his outer garment in her hand and had run outside, she called for her household servants and said to them, See, my husband brought in a Hebrew man to humiliate us. He tried to have sex with me, but I screamed loudly. When he heard me raise my voice and scream, he left his outer garment beside me and ran outside. So she laid his outer garment beside her until his master came home. This is what she said to him, that, that Hebrew slave you brought to us tried to humiliate me. But when I raised my voice and screamed, he left his outer garment and ran outside. When his master heard his wife say, this is... When, he, when his master heard his wife say, this is what the way your slave treated me, he became furious. Joseph's master took him and threw him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him kindness. He granted him favor in the sight of the prison warden. The warden put all the prisoners under Joseph's care. He was in charge of whatever they were doing. The warden did not concern himself with anything that was in Joseph's care because the Lord was with him. And whatever he was doing, the Lord was making successful. So let's, let's talk about Joseph for a minute. Um, how Joseph ended up a slave, a Hebrew slave in an Egyptian household. Uh, remember there's last week... Um, we talked about Jacob, and Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. It was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Joseph is the son of Jacob, the beloved son, the favored son. And Joseph, Joseph was a bit of a weird duck. Joseph had visions. Joseph had dreams. He didn't wrestle with God necessarily like his father did face to face. He didn't necessarily argue with him as his great-grandfather Abraham had done. He didn't receive a direct promise of the covenant as his father, as his grandfather Isaac had, but he heard from God. And he must have been somewhat of a charismatic, somewhat of an eloquent figure because he would often share these dreams, share these visions with his brothers, and it did not make him popular. In fact, all it did was make him more of a pain in the rear. So much so that at one point when his older brothers saw the opportunity, they sold him as a, they faked his death and sold him as a slave into Egypt. We talked about a few weeks ago how at this time people didn't just travel for fun. You didn't just go on vacation. You didn't leave unless something catastrophic happened. Well, this was catastrophic. Joseph, a Hebrew, a son of the promise, an heir to the covenants, was all of a sudden cut off alone in a foreign land. But during that time, whatever it was, however it was, he held on to what he understood of covenant. He held on to whatever he understood as the promise, even when everything around him in his situation screamed for him to let go of it. Was he to be an inheritor of the land as promised to Abraham? He was exiled in Egypt. Was he to be the father of many, one of the great lineage of the Abrahamic covenant whose, whose promise was to populate the world like the stars in the sky and the sands of grains of sand on the seashore? He was exiled. 
in Egypt. I mean, he may have some Egyptian kids, but they wouldn't be children of the promise. Was he going to have people bowing down to him as he had seen in the visions with the sheaves bowing down to him in the field? He couldn't even stay out of jail while he was there. And yet he held on. And what we see that this blessing of covenant is complex. It doesn't run in a linear, orderly fashion like we would like it to. It doesn't end up in the obvious places that we think it should. There is a danger to this grace that we receive. It constantly puts us in conflict with the way things go in our broken world, and it constantly puts us in conflict with our own expectations of what it means to be blessed. Yes, there are times when someone who walks in integrity and the blessing of the Lord is promoted and favored, is recognized and applauded. But even that brings problems. We all know that success breeds jealousy. We all know that for just as many people who are glad that we've succeeded, that we've got ahead, that we've got the position, we got the promotion, there are that many other people who will be delighted when we fail. Out of jealousy? Or out of their own hopes that they might have that position themselves? And not only that, but face it, look, when we do our job well, we are rewarded with more work, right? How, how many of you in your job have learned not to do too much too fast or too well, right? Because when you do, the boss sees and goes, okay, well, let's, let's give them a little more work. It's obvious they can handle more here. Oh, he's trustworthy. Let, let's put more responsibility on him. Not necessarily while giving you a raise, right? To do it. Blessing is complex in this. But more often than that, there are the things that don't seem like blessings at the time. See, blessing also bleeds. Yes, it bleeds out. We see Joseph constantly that the people around him, even the people that mean him ill, are blessed by his presence. They're blessed by his, by his faithfulness to walk in integrity. That bleeds out into others. It blesses others around him. But it also bleeds because it cost us something. Responding faithfully to the covenant of God often requires sacrifice. It often requires self-denial. It involves entering into the suffering of other people. It requires giving when we don't feel like we have anything to give or we don't want to, have to give anything that we have. Blessing demands that. It bleeds. But ultimately, we see that blessing is centered in Jesus. 
Now, as you read the story of Jesus, and as I encourage you to do that this week, you're going to see some things. You're going to see how much Joseph prefigures Jesus. And there's way too much for us to go in at this time this morning, but I hope that this week even make a, just make two columns of all the ways, all the things that Joseph encountered and all the ways they foreshadow are similar to the life of Jesus. With one major difference along the way. You see, we can jump ahead to the end of the story. Those of you who are old enough to know the rest of the story, we get the rest of the story ahead in Genesis 50, where Joseph's position, where all that he's gone through, we see was divinely ordained for the saving of all of Israel, the saving of his family, the saving of the promise, the fulfillment of the promises indeed. In Genesis 50, 20, it says, as Joseph is responding to his brothers, the one, the very ones who faked his murder and sold him into slavery. He says, as for you, you meant to harm me, but God intended it for a good purpose so he could preserve the lives of many people, as you see to this day. That statement is just as true about Jesus. What we meant for harm as we hung our Savior on the cross, mocked him, crucified him. He meant for the saving of the world. We see that in the story of Joseph, clearly. But we also see what Jesus had to go through at the end. Whereas Joseph was physically saved and saved others, Jesus submitted to the cross. That's where their stories diverge with this. And somewhere... Somewhere in between Joseph, somewhere in between Jesus, somewhere in between Emmett Till and Me Too and Apartheid and all the injustice and all the things, we find ourselves, we find our own stories. Somewhere in between the promotions gotten and the promotions stolen from us. Somewhere between the marriage vows kept and the marriage vows broken. Somewhere between the promise of a mate and a life of singleness. Somewhere between the promise of children and infertility. We find our own stories. We find our own selves located. It may be the time of blessing where we are every God grants us favor that is seen by others and we are blessing those around us and everyone around us is prospering that that, that covenantal promise is bleeding out to others. Or it may, may be the time where we are just simply bleeding We find ourselves. And so we read this story 
because we understand in those times that covenant stands, that covenant endures, that covenant overcomes, and that covenant promises and delivers on its promise. This week, I'd like us to consider the people and events, the experiences and the practices that have had a meaningful part in forming our faith. Consider also the events in our lives that God has used us, that God has used to bless others. And I want us to be really honest. Because as we are, I think we'll quickly see it's not just the good stuff. It's not just the words of encouragement. It's not just the promotions and the recognition. So often our faith is deepened through disappointments, rejections, loneliness, doubts. So often our witness to others comes through how we suffer. At Grace Church, Alex coined it years ago maybe where we talk about blessing being anything that draws us closer to Jesus. And all of us have to recognize that while things are going good, it's easy to give lip service to Jesus. It's also pretty easy to ignore him. That it is often those times of suffering that draw us to him. I would also say we could define blessing in this way. It is anything that God uses to draw us closer to God's self. But it also includes those things that allow us to more fully share the kingdom with others. The blessings are those opportunities that give power to our witness, motivation for our sacrifice, meaning for our love. Covenant captures all of this and gives it form. Covenant is a way of understanding this. It's a way of giving it meaning. It's a way of putting it into context where it doesn't overwhelm us and sparking within us that hope just the way it did with Joseph. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as we transition now to a time of communion, a time of offering, a time of reflection, and a time of worship. We do these things, again, as part of our practice here. Why do we take communion every week? We do it to proclaim the mystery of Christ who has come, Christ who is crucified, Christ who is coming again. We do it to proclaim the message of unity, that no matter whether you are black or white, male or female, young or old, privileged or in poverty, we are all one at this table as we are all one in Christ. We do it also to strengthen ourselves to go out from this place. We come in to receive, we leave to give out. It is an inhaling and an expiration 
an expiring of us, a sending of us out into the world to proclaim the kingdom. Why do we do offering? Because we recognize that everything we have is a gift. We recognize that none of us is sufficient unto ourselves, that none of us, no matter how rich, is without need. None of us, how matter, how matter poor we may feel, is without something to give. We also reflect because I'm not God. Having the microphone on does not mean that because I say it, it's true. That is for us to discern as a community under the power of the Holy Spirit with the witness of the church, the testimony of the saints. We do that together so that we own it each individually and together collectively. And why do we worship? Because we need to give back. We need to confess with our songs, with our words, with our spirit, with our actions, what is true, what is real. Even if we don't feel it, we proclaim it as true. I was impressed this week as I was rereading the story of the Last Supper the one that we commemorate and remember. And when you pass it over, right, you read it so many times and it just becomes rote. But it says, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gave. Now, I don't know about y'all, but that's pretty odd. Because when I'm betrayed, when I am offended, when I am treated unjustly, I may want to give out, but it's not blessing that I want to give. It's something very different that I want to give. Y'all, Jesus gave us this in the midst of being betrayed. In the midst of being accused. In the midst of being carried off, beaten, crucified, denied and forgotten. That's when Jesus gave us this meal. So we come and we take it understanding we don't deserve it. We deserve something very different. And yet with all of our cursing, Jesus gives us blessing. This table is blessing. It is open to everyone who is receiving or is looking to receive Jesus. Everyone who follows Jesus, no matter how haltingly, everyone who confesses Jesus, no, no matter how doubtfully, that's the blessing that Jesus gives us. Thank you for being here this morning.
cornerstone. Father, in the midst of our redefinition today, or new definition of a word blessing, God, help us to persevere for those, through those great times, those hard times. Help us to see you and you at work. If I think of Joseph, Joseph and how easy it would have been for him to not recognize you, but that's where his heart was from the very beginning. And his practice of loving you, God, regularly, I believe, had a significant influence on his ability to stay true to you, to be the man that he needed to be. So, Father, help us to be that in the midst of this culture that is not really your culture, in the midst of this world economy that's really, really not your economy in the midst of relationships that don't always reflect your desire for us to be in relationship, God. We pray that you would help us to see through that and to be true in you. Father, uh, that's all. That's what we need. That's what we want. It's what we desire. So to Grace Church, here's what I would tell you. We were going to sing this song forever. Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. Uh, his love endures forever. But I, uh, I think I'd rather go back and sing the joy of the Lord. And I'm saying all of that because that's going to mess up the people in the back and in the front and everywhere else. But, um, yeah, there's just something about that song this morning that really resonated, I think, so. Oh, tears befall, my song will rise, my song will rise to you. Though my heart can fail, my song will rise, my song will rise to you. While there's breath in my lungs, I will praise you, Lord. In the dead of night, I'll lift my eyes, I'll lift my eyes to you. When the water rise, I lift my eyes, I lift my eyes to you. Well, there's hope in my heart, I will praise you, Lord.
Give us our benediction. Hi, Grace Church. Grace Church, God has covenanted with us in what God has promised. God has done, God is doing, and God will do. Go now in the power, the covenant to be a blessing, to proclaim the kingdom, to live from the promise. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, everybody say, Amen. Amen. Amen.